We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why... When it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 158. Oh my goodness gracious, the Yankees have won a series. Scott, can you believe it? It finally happened. They have gone to the West Coast. They have exercised the demons. They are back on the winning track. Three of four. Beautiful, beautiful things. It's been too damn long till they've lost the, every single series they've played. So thank God. Thank God we're back on the path. It's been six weeks, over 40 days, over 30, I think it was 36 games it took them to finally win a series. It's about 20% of the season they went where they did not win a freaking series. I don't oh, know makes- how that's possible. It makes it hurt so much more when you say when you add a percentage to it and it, it quantifies of a, a, a actual like section of the pie of the actual season. Damn, that's a long that's a long time. Twenty so, percent is a big ass chunk. That's to a go. big number. Yeah, that's a big number. And you'd think, okay, they haven't won a series in twenty percent of the season. What? What are they? 
uh, in the basement at this point? Are they fourth place? No. Somehow, only one back of the loss column behind the Red Sox. The Yankees need to get down on their hands and knees and thank their lucky stars they're still in this position. No, it's true because every time they go off on some losing streak, it seems like everybody else in the AL East is doing the exact same thing. So everybody just evens out. It's it's beautiful parody. I'm I'm liking it. it's happening. I hope it uh I hope it stops though because when we start winning games, we need the other guys to start losing so that we can actually make some ground up. But I mean, damn, I'll take this all day long. I think that's why you and I were a little bit hesitant to give up on the, we weren't giving up on this season. We were criticizing the team, but we were still a little bit optimistic, more so than I think we would be when they have lost so many series in a row because we looked around and said the Yankees are somehow still in this. This is still a dogfight. They're going to be in this until the end. I don't know how it's going to happen though. Hopefully this series, they finally won a series like we have, we just said. Hopefully this turns it around. We've said that, what, 50 times at this point? Maybe this is going to be the thing that turns them around. Maybe the All-Star break is going to clear their head. Maybe actually winning a series, having some some momentum, having a nice flight home. It would have been a long flight if they lost today on Sunday. But having a nice flight home, maybe that'll get them back on the track. No, they're going to do well and stay in this till the end because we have a group outing on the last weekend right. of the series. So it has to mean something. It's That's contract. why. It has to mean, exactly. It's in our contract. It's got to mean something. They got to play uh, meaningful baseball on that weekend. So, yeah, no doubt. Maybe Rob, actually, I just thought about this. That will be Rob Refsnyder's return. I, probably the Blue Jays are playing before that at home, but it, it, at least in, in my eyes, that'll be the return of Rob Refsnyder. Did you pour one out for your boy Ref? I did. You know, I think I had already mourned, though, when he was uh, DFA'd. I knew it was ending at that point. I knew even if there was an opportunity for him to go back to Scranton, he wasn't going to take it. It was a dead-end street for him, so he had to go somewhere else. And I, I don't know how the you know how the, 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 the cards fell in the back, but obviously Chapman or uh, Cashman found a, a place where I'm sure Refsider was like, was good with going there, too. I'm sure they gave him some say in it. I could see them doing that with the way that this has gone, but... Um, you know, they got a little bit of uh, something in return, and it was that or nothing because they were just—he was not going to accept the uh, the Scranton, the going back the down option, to it, right. for that assignment. Yeah. Oh, I think Ref was just say, "Get the hell, get me the hell out of here. I don't care what team it is, as long as I have a shot to actually play on the major league team. Get me the hell out of here." Yeah, and good for him. You know, I hope he gets an opportunity. I hope he doesn't hurt us at the same time, but I hope he gets a good opportunity. Well, you saw uh, what what Ben Gamble's doing to the Yankees out there in Seattle. It's kind of weird that the ex Yankees suddenly turn into Yankee killers. It's funny how that works out. You knew damn well, Ben Gamble. I, I sent a tweet out in the first at-bat. I, I could just see it in his eyes that this dude was going to come back and haunt us. And he had a really, really good uh, series. You know, granted, one of, he hurt us a few times that were in crucial uh, points of the game when he hit a home run and he got on a lot. But, you know, thank, thankfully, thankfully, it wasn't enough to overcome. He's really embracing that Seattle grunge, isn't he? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, every time he gets an opportunity, that helmet flies off and it whips around. <laughs> right. Speaking of Cashman, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, there was a report earlier. I think he did an interview with Francesa, and they, he was asked if, what's the deal with Frazier? What are you going to do once Hicks returns? Obviously, Hicks was having a great season. He said, well, Frazier's probably going to get sent back down because we have too many outfielders. But if you look at what's happened over the weekend, Frazier played. He played over Jacoby Ellsbury. Apparently, Joe had to sit down with Ellsbury and said, I can't sit down the kid right now. He's getting hits. He's hitting the ball hard. He's hustling his ass off. So much so that he's running into out sometimes, but I still love the hustle. He had to sit down with Ellsbury and said, I got to play him. I got to play Clint while, he, while he's producing. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's the the narrative right now that Girardi is saying, and obviously it's happening. I mean, he is playing over him. Even today, there was a, a right-handed pitcher with Gallardo starting, and Frazier was still in the lineup over Ellsbury. So that was telling. I think what we're seeing now with the uh, the way that Ellsbury has been introduced to his new role is is pretty pretty telling about what they think about him right now. I mean, he's been pinch hitting. I'm sorry, pinch running for the past two days, and uh, even when. Ronald Torres was up against our right-handed closer who throws 97 miles per hour. Not, o- not only did, uh, did Ellsbury enter the game, uh, but not as a pinch hitter, as a pinch runner was, I mean, that's a slap in the face. But it was a very well-deserved slap in the face. <laughs> well, on Sunday, he pinch ran and then couldn't score from first. Yeah, because he take. I mean, if you looked at his, I was watching the replay and I'm seeing him come in. It looked like he was coming in from the dugout. I'm like, this dude is just making a full circle around third base. I mean, it was a terrible line. So he also probably run right. should have been stealing earlier in that uh, in that count in that at bat to head lead. Probably should try to steal the base rather than have to score from first base. Well, you know, these guys are so used to their situations. He wasn't ready for that. He has to really get into this. He wasn't stretched out enough. And, you know, we've got to give him some time to make sure he's uh, adapting to his new role in the team as pinch runner. So people are loving number 77, Clint Frazier. He is aggressive. He's aggressive at the plate. He's aggressive on the base paths in the outfield. So uh, do you think he's a little, he's, he's impressing people, I think, and he's won over fans, maybe fans that might have thought he was cocky or anything like that with the way he's been playing? Yeah, no, I think it's been tremendous. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's refreshing. I love seeing this type of thing because when you see a guy just go balls out every single thing, no matter doesn't matter what he's doing, whether he's running, whether he's uh, at the plate. I mean, just the intensity in his face, you can tell he's taking every single at-bat with the utmost seriousness and like his life depends on every at-bat. That's the way he looks. Uh, and then, you know, going full full stretch dives in left field, making great plays. I mean, I, you know, honestly, the the, the when he slid over, uh, second base and going in there trying to stretch it out. I, it, I love that. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. Well, he was he was out. It wasn't just because he overslid the yeah, base. Yeah, I know. He was but out. there was there were <laughs> look. The fact is, is that the guy was being aggressive, um, and sometimes I, I think it's hard to temper that. And if you t- if you tell a player to temper your aggressiveness, it changes the, the way that they play. And that to me is not the right thing to do. Do you have any complaints about Frazier? No, I don't. My only complaint is that he's, he's extending the zone up. And I know David Cohen talked about this today. He's getting beat on high fastballs, which is, is I don't want to say it's a complaint. It's just something I've noticed in his at-bats. Yeah, well, and I think when he's, uh, when he's swinging through those fastballs, you can also see in the when you're looking at him, I think that still that adjustment that he's making. I mean, he's clearly made some sort of an adjustment, but he's still on, the, on his front foot a little bit more. Um, and, and I think what the, the biggest thing that from everything I've heard from uh, – the hitting coaches have been working with him is staying back and just keeping more weight on that back heel. And, uh, you know, you can tell when he's up in the zone, when the, when the fastball is up in the zone, he's, he seems like he's jumping out too much um, on his front foot and he just can't catch up with it. it is, he's, he is in a situation, I think, though, he needs to keep producing in order to force their hand. As soon as he starts slumping and Hicks is healthy again, I think they're, they're going to take every opportunity to send him down. Because they have the luxury of knowing come September 1st, he's the, one of the first guys to get called back up. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things and a lot of factors, I think, that, that come with that. But yes, you're right. I think when, when, once the rosters expand, obviously he's going to be up. But at the same time, we're also looking at, you know, this is, this is assuming that Hicks comes back fully healthy and is playing well in rehab assignments in the minor leagues and is coming back and ready to regain that role. I mean, there, there could be different situations that come up. Um, 
so you know, I, I know they're all saying the right thing right now, or with with Fraser playing, and and they're doing the right thing with Fraser playing over Ellsbury. But I'm very interested to see how it goes down once Hicks does come back and he is healthy, or if he does, you know, maybe it takes longer for Hicks to get back and, and, and healthy on the field. How do you think that conversation between Girardi and Ellsbury went? Because they've had a little bit of ups and downs in, in the last few years. You remember Ellsbury sat in the 2015 wildcard game. He didn't play in 2016, I believe, in one of the quote-unquote most important games. It was against Baltimore, I think, in July that Girardi didn't play him. So they've had ups and downs. I mean, Girardi is so used to having these these conversations with veterans at this point. I think this is one of the last ones he uh, he has to have. So I don't think he cares anymore. I think he just goes up and says it. Like, look, this is the way it is. You know, I, I pretty much want you out of my face at this point, but I have to deal with this. So you got to sit. The kid's playing. Well, you know, Girardi gives that that I'm really concerned face, and he rubs his his hair, which is basically bald at this point. He just he buzz cut. It's just gone absolutely white from stress, but he rubs it. He looks really concerned, and he wants to console Ellsbury and, and him know that this decision is eating him up inside. Oh, yeah, eating him up inside. You're making – you have <laughs> the, the giant contract, and you suck, and you're getting outplayed by a kid. So sit down and, uh, and don't cry about it. And when we tell you to pinch run, go fast and steal bases. Stop sucking. Maybe try some wind sprints in the tunnel beforehand so you don't uh, get thrown out at home plate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Stretch out those hamstrings. Get those. Uh, get that hip motion going. In all seriousness, though, do you think Ellsbury cares that he's in this situation, or he's like, I don't know, my checks, it, my checks are clearing. Yeah, honestly, that's that. I, I, I truly feel like that. That's the mentality that he at least puts across. He doesn't have much expression at all, anyway. No matter what, whether he's doing well or not, but the dude just seems very complacent. In all honesty, he just looks like that guy who's just. He's fine with doing what uh, mediocre. He's just, okay, you know what? I'm a professional athlete still. I still got this giant contract. I'm going to go out. If I don't do well, well, I just had a bad day. I'll just come back. I'm not going to work harder to get better and improve myself because there's a kid firing, firing up behind me because I already got paid. He's got no incentive. I'd be interested to look at all of the massive contracts in baseball over the years. Ellsbury might have the biggest contract for only one season of of yeah. actual MVP level play. He had that one season in 2011. Scott Boris took that to the bank, got the Yankees to give him 150 million bucks. Other than that, you look at his stats, like he's had a lot of stolen bases in the past, but nothing jumps out at you on his baseball reference page other than that 30 home run second place MVP finish 2011 season. It's a little out of place for Ellsbury if you catch my drift. Yeah, I'm catching your drift. I'm picking down. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Maybe but, the ball was juiced in 2011, or maybe something else was juiced. Yeah, I don't know if it was the ball. I don't. I think we would have seen more everywhere else too. But you know, the the thing with him is that the contract is still so long, is and he knows <laughs> the writings ending. on the writings on the wall. So they're literally. It's not like he's going to get another contract from somebody. It's not going to happen. Well, who cares? I mean, he's he's going to exactly. He's going to go point. off into the sunset with his 150 That's, million bucks. That's my point. He's got zero incentive at this point. No motivation. Moving on from the the bum that is Jacoby Ellsbury. Bad news. Starlin Castro re-aggravated his hamstring. He wanted to keep playing, but he's on the 10-day disabled list. They called up Tyler Wade. He, he Castro didn't look right. He was not running hard. He didn't really hit the he he wasn't really performing at the plate since he came back. Sucks. Sucks for Starlin Castro. Sucks for the Yankees. Yeah, and the hamstring, I'm I'm a little worried about it just because it's it's one of those, you know, those soft tissue injuries that can just linger and keep coming back, and and really could spring up at any point. So I don't know. I, 
I, I feel like they really need to make sure that he's completely cleared before he comes back again. And none of this in between nonsense, because it, it seems like it's just going to keep coming back. I mean, if it's already being re-aggravated, it's going to be re-aggravated again if he comes back too early. It's just one of those those uh, reoccurring injuries. And, and those things can really linger and linger and linger and, you know, be a thorn in the side the entire season unless they let it heal. That was one thing that was kind of annoying me. I remember, I forget if it was on the Yes broadcast or the radio broadcast, where Castro hit a ball at Fenway Park and barely jogged out of the out of uh, home plate. Should have been a double. He kept it at a single. And the announcer said, well, the Yankees told him to take it easy. Don't push it. Well, if he can't go 100%, why is he back on the field? Well, that's exactly the same thing that we were talking about earlier in the season with Gary Sanchez before... He is like, oh, I'm also going to be in the Derby, by the way. I'm, I'm not healthy because I didn't run the balls out. And they were, I mean, it was so obvious that the, that the, the, the coaching staff in Girardi were just, you know, getting their guys back by saying, hey, we told him to, to relax when he's not running things out. But no, he was healthy. They wouldn't have put him out there unless he was healthy. And I, I mean, I, I think with, when you have a veteran like Castro, too, with a, an injury like that, that is really not, uh, it's not diagnosed by looking at it or a doctor can't like, you know, touch in a certain way and say, okay, it's this. It's, you have to listen to the body of the player and the player has to tell you how it feels. And, you know, if he's saying that he can go back and he, and he feels like he can test it, then you almost have to trust that guy, especially, a, you know, a guy of uh, the veteran status of Castro. He's been around for a long time. He knows what he's doing. So unfortunately, I think he just tries to, that competitiveness will get in the way sometimes with some of these guys. Have you ever had a hamstring injury? I know you uh, may have tweaked your Achilles after you raced your 15-year-old brother, but have, <laughs> have you ever had one of those old man uh, hamstring injuries yet? Yeah, not so much a hamstring as much, but it, it like it goes all the way down. Yeah, I've had uh, a couple years ago, I had this like the piriformis thing and went down from my back all the way down into my hamstring. And those things suck. They, they stay around for a long time because then you can start getting pinched nerves within there. There's a lot of things that can happen and nothing is uh, nothing will clear it but rest. Well, apparently it, it was visible. His injury was visible. You, there was blood. Uh, sweat. It was described on the, I believe Susan was describing this over, over the weekend on the radio, that you could actually see blood swelling in the back of his hamstring. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, that, that almost that sounds feels like, pretty serious. That sounds like a pop. That sounds like something actually ruptured if there's, if there's something going on like that. But I mean, it's a bruise and the bruise, sometimes when, even when there's a hamstring and, and it's, uh, or anywhere and it's very, very bruised, the bruising can put enough pressure to actually strain the, the muscle or a ligament or something like that. So I don't, did he get hit? I don't remember anything actually happening. That no, sounds like he something didn't. Actually, he, no, it was yeah, a non-contact. So, he pulled it. Remember he pulled, he came up lame against the White Sox in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, but that doesn't mean that that was the first time, you know, something has come up with that hamstring. I don't know. He's it actually had like, a history of hamstring injuries back with the Cubs. All right, well, then he needs to chill out. He needs to relax. <laughs> well, that's we what he was doing. That's why he was, that's why he was dogging it out of the box. We need that, we need that bat to, to, you know, down the stretch because he's a crucial part of this team. Well, it's actually noticeable if you look. I mean, Judge got hot over the weekend. He had a mammoth home run that almost left Safeco Field and then another home run. Sanchez didn't really have a good weekend. Holiday's been a little bit of a slump. There's nobody right behind Judge to force the pitcher to throw to Judge. They intentionally walked Judge, and then Sanchez was up with bases loaded on Sunday, and he popped out. Got to have a guy behind Judge so so pitchers have to pitch to him. Yeah, they did it again today. On Sunday, they they walked Judge uh, after Frazier's double. So they're, they're doing that, and they're putting the pressure. They're saying that they would rather pitch to Gary Sanchez every time over Aaron Judge if there's a base open. And 
in all honesty, over the past, you know, short amount, of, I don't know, the past two or three series, it's been working. I mean, he's just, uh, Sanchez hasn't been uh, been hot at the plate, nor has he been hot behind the plate. We'll get into that because he's freaking annoying the hell out of me. His defense is just, uh, to me, is just terrible. Uh, over the past couple of series, it's like he's reverted back to the way he was um, in the beginning of this this horrible streak. Well, maybe maybe home run derby ruined him. Oh yeah, the home run derby prevented him from catching a fastball on the black or just out just on the outside of the plate. You're talking about the game against Ch- uh, when he was catching Chapman. That was a cross up. He was expecting a slider. No, I'm talking about the one that just happened. We're recording after Sunday. The game on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. On Did s- I say Saturday? I meant Sunday. That was a cross he- up. No, no, no. Hold on. You're you're thinking of the other time because that also happened. It, it's happened a few times. But the one on Sunday in the evening, he literally was there. Looked like he was trying to frame the pitch and just missed it. He just missed the fastball. And it went to the backstop. It was a dead fastball. There's no way it was a cross-up on that. He was right there. It's problematic. Terrible. It's terrible. As you said, the Yankees exercised their demons at Safeco Field. And that was a good spot to go to. The Yankees have the best road record winning percentage-wise at Safeco Field all time. They're 52-29. and 29. That's the best of any visiting team to Safeco Field. And I didn't know that stat, but I once I saw it, I said, that makes sense because they go to Oakland and they always struggle. They go to Anaheim and they definitely always struggle. But for whatever reason, Seattle, things go a little bit smoother. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm glad they went back and, and, you know, went to the root of the problem back on the West Coast where everything started and, uh, and ended it. You know, to me, that's a squash. That's a, that's a perfect cycle of life. That's a perfect cycle of a team slump. And they squashed it. They buried the, uh, the hatchet, as you will. And now they're going to be going on the road again. Where are nope. they going? Cincinnati? Nope. It's a home series. Coming home. Coming home to Cincinnati for Cincinnati to come in even better. Yep. So perfect. They've got two against Cincinnati because you remember they played two in Cincinnati in the middle That's of the right. season. Uh, so they got two against Cincinnati and then four against Tampa. Yeah, this weird two-game series are strange. The home and homes, even yeah. though they're split up by a month and a half. Right. Severino gave them a huge performance on Thursday because King Felix turned back the clock to 2009, 2010. He was dominant. He's always dominant against the Yankees. Him and his neck tattoos are always menacing out there, but Severino stepped up was filthy. He got into a little bit of trouble and I believe it was the second inning worked through it. He was throwing absolute heat. I believe he threw the fastest pitch of any starting pitcher this season clocked Mm -hmm. at 102 miles an hour. I mean, that's filthy. That's ridiculous. When you have a starter throwing 102 miles an hour. I mean, that's, we talked about how the, you know, the, the, the batters are catching up with these fastballs. It's not, not as effective. But when you're a starting pitcher and you have, you know, three other pitch or two other pitches, and then you're also juicing it up to a 102 as a starting pitcher and you're, you're showing all these other things, it's ridiculous. That's insane. Like, that's a difference maker when you're, when you're doing that. And he's locating it. I mean, he's been phenomenal. Um, the, the neck tattoos with King Felix, man, I, I'm not messing with anybody with a neck tattoo. Neck tattoo just equals crazy to me. Nobody, nobody, no, no sane person gets a neck tattoo. Yeah, that's a bad sign. I remember Carl Crawford also had a neck tattoo. Um, he seemed like maybe the nicest guy to ever have a neck tattoo. Yeah, that's possible. He, he didn't look like a mean guy. I'm surprised by that, actually. <laughs> uh, the bullpen was also great. Um, locked down the Thursday game. The Yankees attacked on a couple runs late, but uh, it didn't matter because Severino was, was the absolute story in this game. I, w- I also think it's interesting what the Yankees are doing with Headley at first base because he looked shaky early in that game uh, on Thursday. He was making only his seventh career start at first base, and I know Frazier, they want him to be the everyday third baseman, and they're going to platoon Headley at first base with Cooper. But Frazier has started 94 games at first base. That's a significant sample size. 
I mean, I, I like the move. And I, I think, um, I mean, people were talking about him being super shaky on, in that game. And there were a couple of times, but nothing, nothing glaring. I mean, the one where he missed the bag. I mean, he, he literally dove for the ball, jumped back up, and realized that CeCe was not covering the bag because CeCe doesn't cover bags. And that's acceptable. But, but that's, then, but but then that's he couldn't. But then he couldn't find the bag. I mean, yeah, but I understand that. But when you're playing first base for the first time in a long time and you have a pitcher that doesn't cover a bag, there's a lot of, th- and you're diving after a ball and making, you know, making, he put leather on the, on the ball. He made a nice play, um, made a nice attempt at least. And he went back. I don't know. I'm not really faulting him for that. I mean, he got there and just couldn't find the bag. It, it happens. But I mean, he, he made a nice pick today. Uh, I think there, he's, we're going to see him just steadily progress at first base because, uh, I mean, he's got a good glove. There's, he knows how to pick things up. There's no, we saw that on third base. It was the throwing that was the biggest issue. That's a good and, point. Uh, he doesn't have he to doesn't throw have across to do the it. diamond anymore. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Headley's winning over some fans? The fact that he's being a, a team first guy, he's not being selfish. He said, yeah, no problem. I know I'm under contract for another season, but I'll go over to first base. Well, I think he's also seeing the writing on the wall for, for what's happening in the minor leagues. I think that, that he pretty much sees that Glaber Torres, if, if he comes back healthy and, and comes up, that there, he's going to be part of, the, uh, part of the mix next year, and Headley's going to need a place to play if he's on this team. Right. And first base with Greg Bird you know, not being able to stay on the field is uh, an area where the Yankees could absolutely use him. So you know, I think it's a smart baseball move for him. I think it's a, it's a good team move. I mean, he even said it when, when uh, Frazier, when the trade was already announced, uh, apparently he went in to Girardi's office and said, whatever you need, whatever you want me to do, if you want me to go to first, I'll do it. What have you thought of the Todd father so far? He's been bad. <laughs> <laughs> Swing looks uh, quite long. He looks like he's, yeah, he looks like he's, uh, he swings at a lot of stuff too. I don't know. I'm going to wait a little bit longer to, uh, to get on him, but uh, he, he's been playing a good third base. I give him that, but uh, I don't know. He's a loose dude. He, he definitely is a loosey goosey guy. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see that he actually does have that much pop because we haven't really seen anything, but again, it's been such a short time, you know, give him, give him, uh, give him some time. Uh, I'd like to see how he does when he comes back home. I think that'll be a, a telling series. Yeah, I'm not going to judge anything based on four games, but he did. He had a couple hard hit balls, but other than that, he struck out a bunch. Kind of interesting timing for for Todd Frazier. He comes home, his first game at Yankee Stadium is going to be against his original team, the Reds. That's kind of yeah. just funny how that kind of stuff works out. Doesn't he? To me, when you look at Todd Frazier and you're seeing just like just the way he looks with a baseball uniform on, does he remind you? He reminds me of like Onus Wagner, like a guy that played in like the 1800s or early 1900s. Yeah. Just with the way he wears his uniform and his hat is always up. It's never even his helmet is always propped up a little bit. Yeah. He just looks like an old school guy. Like you could literally put him in a black and white movie and you'd never know the difference. 100. percent His face has some city miles on it. Yeah, that too. I agree. What is he? Thirty one. He looks. Yeah. He looks every bit of forty. But you're right. He does wear the the helmet like he's a little leaguer, where it's kind of back and it's, it's just got a bunch of forehead there, kind of like the Peyton Manning forehead. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> CC won on his birthday. Actually, did he? Yeah, he got the win because the Yankees won five to one. Five yeah. innings pitched, labored through the first couple innings. Uh, Frazier saved him with a diving catch. This was the until Judge almost hit it out of the stadium. This was the Clint Frazier game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> until he did, until he almost hit it out of the stadium. But there's no doubt. And CC pitched five innings, got into I think it was a leadoff, 
a leadoff hit right in the fifth inning and Joe came out immediately. He was right around 100 pitches and pulled him at that point. CC was pissed. You could tell he wanted to finish the, at least that inning or get through it or just an opportunity to, to work himself out of it a little bit. Um, but Gerardi really wasn't messing around. He's like, I got I got some toys. I got some new guys. I got this this dude, Canely, who we, we mis- mispronounced his name the entire uh, last episode, and that was on me. That we get, we me. get a pass on that one, though. That's yeah, for, yeah. the first time, first podcast with a new player. We can mispronounce the shit out of his name. But uh, he looks, he just looks absolutely gross. I mean, I, I love it. He reminds me of uh, Bob Wickman. I don't know. He does the, the little glove flap thing, I, I think, that Wickman did. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I thought CC pitched pretty well, and he, he does what he does. You know what I mean? He, he labors through five, six innings. The bullpen combined for four innings, only two hits, no walks, six strikeouts. D Rob, I think, struck out the side in this game. And Green didn't even pitch in this game, but I think I was hearing the stats today. He's got like 30 strikeouts and 20 innings pitched over his last 20 innings. Chad Green has been, out of all of the filthiness in that bullpen, the most filthy. Yeah, and consistent. I mean, even when things were going bad, Chad Green was stepping up and making, you know, was actually putting together good innings. And that's why he was, you know, he just kept climbing the ranks and and, and he would show up later in games. Because Girardi, it takes a while for Girardi to get that confidence in a guy and actually use him the way that you want him to be used in a bullpen. Uh, it's not a fast process for, for Joe Girardi. So what happened with StatCast? I guess Judge broke StatCast because they didn't tweet out any of the information on that home run. And then the Mariners come back and say the ball only went 440 feet. Well, they first came back and said 415. I'm like, get, the, get out of my face with this 415 nonsense. That ball was a moonshot. And I don't know. Yeah, StatCast was missing. I mean, they literally didn't pick it up. They picked up the batter before, the batter after, but not Aaron Judge. You'd think that they would follow Aaron Judge around the around the country. The problem is he hit it too high. He hit it over the StatCast radar stuff. Couldn't yeah, couldn't even track the ball. It's possible. I mean, honestly, he hit that ball so goddamn high that it it very well could have gone outside the way that they measure, you know, these home runs. It was a ridiculous shot. It would have they were talking about if the roof was on, which they did put it over. They closed the roof after that shot that it could have very well hit the roof. That was sort of the t- that was as soon as I saw that home run, I'm like, "Okay, Judge is back. He's got his swing back." That thing was an absolute blast. And you could see he was getting locked back in at the plate. He stopped swinging at bad pitches. I think everyone was freaking out because it was the first slump of the season, amazingly, for Aaron Judge. And we were shocked by it. We said, well, he's been the MVP all season. We haven't seen him slump. He went one for 21. People think the home run derby can ruin a swing, even though he essentially does that in batting practice before every single game. He went through a slump. Baseball players go through slumps. That's why I was so aggravated at all of the hot takes of people saying that Judge was no longer the player he was just because of the stupid home run derby. Yeah, and not to mention that it's also a time frame in which they're not playing baseball for almost a week. I mean, that's, throw away the derby and you're still not playing baseball for a week. I mean, that will cool down anybody who is coming into the All-Star break as hot as Aaron Judge. I mean, he was literally hot the entire first half of the season. So you come back after not playing baseball for a week, a game that you need repetition, a game that you can absolutely feed off of uh, good swings continually, and... Yes, you're going to cool down. I mean, it's a it's a very natural thing to happen immediately afterwards. But I'm glad he's back. Even when he was slumping, he was hitting balls hard and getting robbed of home runs. So right. It's not if like he ball, was like terrible. If that ball left the ballpark on Sunday night against the Red Sox, it's a whole different storyline. People are are 
forget about the bad swings on Saturday and and Friday in Boston, and they say, well, he hit a two-run home run, brought the Yankees back to within one run. But Jackie Bradley Jr. just made an insane catch. That that just that's what happens. Yeah, it's it's it makes no sense. There's there's literally no basis for saying that besides the fact that it just sounds okay. Like, oh well, you know, it happened to. The, they they point out a couple of things. Like, I, I feel like everybody goes back to Bobby Abreu when they're talking about the uh, the second half slumps after a home run derby. And I mean, when you look at Abreu's swing, the type of thing. Not, not to not to say that I think it even had anything to do with it even then, but well, it very well could have been a coincidence. He did only but hit one th- home run in the second half. He was old too, but at the same time, Bobby Abreu had to change his swing. You know the way he actually does normal things to, for the home run derby. Whereas Judge, it's just effortless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when it is. It's batting practice for him. Saturday's game could have an entire podcast just on this game. There are so many ups and downs in it. Ten inning loss. Tanaka did not pitch great. He had a blow-up third inning where he gave up four runs, two more home runs allowed, 26 on the season. A frustrating thing was after the game, I was listening to Girardi's post-game, and he said, he says, for whatever reason, he just lost his stuff in the third inning. We don't know what happened. Clearly, Tanaka doesn't know what happened either. That frustrates the hell out of me. Well, because Yeah, because it's mental. You don't, you don't lose it. You don't have it and then lose it for, for a short period of time and then get it back on the same day and within the same you know, hour it, to me, you mentally check out. You're, you're, not, you're losing focus within a game, and then you're allowing yourself to stay in that rabbit hole, and then for whatever reason, you, you can get back out of it. But what, you need to, he, needs, he needs to be able to put that stuff aside and make quality pitches and execute so that he can get out of those situations. And he didn't do it in that inning. And you're right, it's, it's concerning because when you have a guy that's supposed to be your number one who fails mentally in the middle of a game, that's a big problem. Do you think it's he gives up another home run and he gets discouraged or something? He says, yes. here we go again. And yes. before you know it, he gives up another home run and another home run and it snowballs, snowball effect on him. No doubt. I mean, you can see the you can see his face. Well, that's new it, this year. It's written all over. Because he never let that kind of stuff happen to him before this. Well, I understand that, but but it's happening at such a frequent pace this year that he's letting it bother him when it actually does happen. And, you know, granted, they were, uh, at least the first one was, I don't remember if they were both, were, they were both solo shots or one of them was. The both of them were solo shots. Second one was Gamble. Was the first one Zunino? I forget who the first one was. I don't remember, but yeah, I think they were solo shots. But the fact is, so that's that's kind of his MO before this season was the home the ball might leave the ballpark occasionally, but when it does, it's usually a solo shot. It's usually when he's being more aggressive to a guy that he feels he could be more aggressive to and there's nobody on base, which is a which is a quantified gamble by him. And I'm good with that. I like that. I like him being around the strike zone and and you know trying to make his pitch and if he gets beat, he gets beat with nobody on. Like I got no problem with that. I think that's a good pitching uh, strategy, but it's just happening too often to him. Well that's great and all he gave he gives up the two solo home runs. How about you just stop there? He gave up two more runs after that. Well, mentally checked out. I mean, what are you going to do? That's that's what he did. Shout out to Empire Esquire. Uh, he gave me, uh, he tagged me in a tweet, and he made this point: the main difference between the Yankees and Red Sox this season is Tanaka and Sale. Yeah, you're. It's a it's a big well. I it's a huge difference. You're right because I think Price and uh, Price and Severino are, are you know relatively close. So it's that number one guy. Price no was hurt for it. a while, but we've said this. I think we said this last episode or two episodes ago. Tanaka just pitches 80% of what he's been in his career up to this point. Yankees are in first place easily right now. He's been their worst starting pitcher. Mm, that's that, Yeah, you're right. He has. It's been, uh, it's been terrible. 
The offense battled back in this game. They just could never take the lead. Torres ties the game in the ninth inning with a single after he throws his bat to stay alive. Gotta love Torres. I he, love that. He kind that of, whole bat's awesome. He redeemed himself a little bit after he made those couple errors in Boston. He redeemed himself with that at-bat. You know, I, I felt bad for him with those errors because it's uh, he's usually a sound defensive guy and he goes all over and plays good defense. I don't know what was going on with him that day. Um, but... Uh, you know, you have to, the grit that this guy shows just by literally throwing the bat at the ball to stay alive, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Uh, and then the, that whole situation with Ellsbury uh, pinch running for Didi, you know, it was questionable whether Didi twisted an ankle. They were saying, obviously, he didn't do anything significant enough to uh, keep him out of today and hitting two home runs. So, you know, I think that Ellsbury was just a better stolen base guy, and that's what they wanted to do. It's just that whole situation is, uh, to me, it's hysterical because that Torres is still getting that up that at bat and then delivers. I love it. What was going on today in the dugout with uh, they were putting tape all over Torres' face? I have no idea. I have no idea. The, did you see the pictures? I was listening to the game when this was happening, but I only saw the pictures on Twitter. They, they just kept showing like a little mascot. Yeah, I know. It's it's um they keep they were there was like big pieces of tape on his cheeks and on his chin. Was that I think maybe it was weird. I don't know. It looked like ta- it looked like uh just like black uh athletic tape. Right. Yeah, it was, was it was it like tape you used to wrap up like your knee or was it tape that goes around a bat handle? I I have no idea. I could see like perforations in it, so it looked like it looked like uh athletic tape, black they, athletic tape. Yankees should watch out because Manfred did implement a no hazing rule. Yeah, that, that's clearly what's happening. Well, he, I don't know if it's hazing if he just accepts it and he's just like, okay, just put tape on my face. Oh, he, he embraces the shit out of it. He's yeah, always, he loves it. He jumps up on Didi's shoulders whenever Judge uh, hits a home run and then didn't Judge yes, hoist put him, him up, up on his shoulders. Get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I gotta, we got to find out what was going on with that. If anyone knows, if the Yankees have said it at this point, we're recording right after the game, we don't know. But yeah, it was just a, a little weird thing that was going on during today. Yeah, they're having fun in the dugout. That's what they weren't doing when they were losing all these ball games. It was just a, it was a thick atmosphere that, that nobody wanted to be a part of. And now they're back, healthy. Everybody's kind of loose again, you know, getting back into that vibe. This is good stuff. This is when good baseball is played. And they had to come back to win the series. It, it looked dire for a second after Gardner gets him on the board early the Yankees take a three nothing lead Caleb Smith completely implodes in the fourth inning do you think Girardi left him out there too long you think he should have pulled him after the bases were loaded no I you know I think at that point because he he was still a pitch away I mean he had he was a pitch away from with Ben Gamble to get out of that inning clean he was bases loaded two outs and and it was uh it was you know, Ben Gamble just made him pay for it. So I think he really got, he almost, he almost got through that inning. And unfortunately for him, I think because if he had gotten through that, you know, he would have come back out again and who knows what we're looking at at that start, but he just couldn't avoid the big mistake. I mean, it's the same thing with some of these young guys coming up with, uh, you know, with Severino, with, uh, not Severino, uh, Luis Sessa and uh, Caleb Smith. And even when he was starting, um, we saw more of this. We saw some of this out of Chad Green. Like these guys were, they're just, they can't avoid that big inning or that big one situation that, that kind of buries them. So hopefully you can make that because I think he's got really good stuff. I had about a 15 minute argument with my dad today about this very topic. He said Girardi is an ass and should have pulled him once the bases got loaded. It's a rookie pitcher and the bullpen has a day off tomorrow so they can go to Chad Green for a couple innings like they ended up doing. I understand that argument, but at the same time, it's the fourth inning and there's no outs and you're not going to pull your starting pitcher when he still has not given up a run to that point. And what was the score at that point? Was it 4 to 1? No, it was 3 nothing Yankees. It was 3 nothing. Yeah. So they had a lead and you know even if he gets out of it uh with a, a one or two runs across it's still, you know, 
okay, you can live with that because this is a, but he did. I mean, he was, he showed that he could get out of it, but just didn't finish the, uh, the job. And it was a tough situation for him to be in at the same time. That's a good situation for a kid to, to learn to get out of. Uh, so I don't know. Fourth inning, I feel like you're keeping him in there. There's been a couple positives with Caleb Smith because he looked absolutely great through the first turn through the the order on Seattle. And he was working quickly. I loved that. And the same thing against Minnesota. His first two innings were great. And then he fell apart once he got extended into the game. I know he was a starting pitcher in Scranton, so he has no excuse for having any pitch count limitations or anything like that. It's just at the major league level, guys get a second turn against you. They're going to make you pay. Yeah, and when he came out for that third inning, I don't remember when uh, when he came in in relief. If those if the the batting order had turned around, I don't think no, it because had. he retired all six guys. Yeah, you're right. So um, I, I'm I'm throwing that one away anyway because it well, was that his was first a, outing. But that was also Girardi put him in a bad situation. He's he in did. a tie game in the eighth inning uh, in his major league debut. Like, give the rookie a little with a break. third with a third uh, in in the third inning of work. Yeah, that's that's a tough spot to be in if you're a rookie. But look, if he's going to be a starting pitcher, if that's what they're going to actually use him as a starting pitcher, because there's really not that many spots in the bullpen. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense that they're going to try to see what they can get out of him as a starting pitcher. I mean, we need to see improvements from him, obviously, getting deeper into the games. But I think, really, you're looking at his stuff. And you know I'm a stuff guy. I like stuff. I like a lot of good stuff. And Caleb Smith is one of those guys. And he's a lefty. Having two lefties in a in a rotation, that's or three lefties it would be because of Montgomery, that's... That's good stuff. I mean, that's that's what you want. You want a guy who can throw that hard and change pitches. He's got what four pitches. I like I like him. I think he can be very good. He just gotta show that he can get deeper into games. You like his stuff? I like his stuff. I'm not th- I'm not that high on his stuff. Mm. You know, you're not a stuff guy. I thought it kind of struck struck me as like a Vidal Nuno, Jason Vargas no! type stuff. Get the hell out of here, Jason. He throws. Caleb Smith throws ninety-eight miles an hour. He threw. He touched ninety-eight miles an hour in his first start, but he says I live in the low nineties. Yeah. Well, he he also was throwing uh, in the high nineties as a starting pitcher. That that shows me he can get there. No, Nuno, Nuno, whatever the Vidal Vidal Sassoon was not. uh, He was a finesse guy. So was Vargas. Vargas is like eighty-eight. Right, that's Come what on. I'm saying. I kind of give got him that. some credit. Give this man some credit. Caleb Smith hard. was throwing a lot of sliders, a lot of lot of changeups and curveballs, trying to keep the hitters off balance. Well, yeah, that's, hopefully that's, he proves that's me baseball. wrong. That's you baseball, think, Susan. So you, you can't throw fastballs to everybody. You think he gets another start? Because Luis Sessa certainly he was going to be the starter today. Girardi made a last minute pitching change, went to Caleb Smith. Do you think he gets another start? Uh, sure. I'd well, like to see another start. Spot now they have four starters, and then they're, they've got this fifth spot now that Pineda is out. They've got to do something with this fifth spot: either make a trade, keep running out these AAA guys, or maybe finally give Chance Adams a shot. Well, the problem with the Chance Adams dream, and I feel like it's closing very fast the window for for him to actually come up and be an effective starter for this team, because I keep hearing now that there's 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 very possibly a pitch limit for him as a starting pitcher. Because what this is only his second year, I think. Inning, you mean innings limit? Innings limit, thank you. Uh, this is one of his only second year or third year as a starting pitcher because he came up as a reliever. Uh, so I, I do believe that they have some kind of an innings limit on him. They keep saying he's not ready to come up yet. They'd like to see him, him uh, you know, show that he has more control. He's been walking some guys. So I don't know. They, they really seem adamant about waiting on him. And Girardi also made a comment this week saying that if we were to see Chance Adams up in the major league level, it would probably be as a relief pitcher, which to me was like, it was very, I was scratching my head like, okay, well, now with the way that our bullpen looks, probably not going to need him as a relief pitcher at this There's point. There's no but, spots in that bullpen. Yeah, I mean when the when the you know when the rosters expand, 
what are you going to use him as? And I, I guess it, it very well could come down to the fact that whether they go out and get another arm, which I still expect to happen, I, I think that can happen still, um, or you know they're going to use him as a relief pitcher once the rosters expand and just you know get him in for one at bat. <laughs> Well, a little hot stove action. You just said they might still go out and, and get a starting pitcher. Apparently, Oakland scouts are all over Yankees minor league system. Maybe still for a Sonny Gray trade. Maybe a Yonder Alonso, which I don't think that's still in the works considering they, they just got Todd Frazier. But apparently, Oakland scouts are, are checking out some Yankee prospects. Yeah, the, I, the everybody keeps talking about this Alonzo trade still and, and shoring up first base. But I don't know. I mean, how many more guys can you throw at first base at this point? Uh and what are you going to do with Headley if if you are bringing over Alonzo? I don't know. It's just there's too many there's too many factors now. I feel like and and Headley's swinging a very good bat from the left side. I mean, right. that's there, you you can't you can't go against that. The fact that he's not switch hitting anymore unless it's late in the game and they need him to do it against a reliever. He's he's batting left handed and he's producing. He's he's hitting for a decent average. I think I I heard today he's got like a three fifteen average over his last twenty games. Yeah, it's something like that. It was uh, 315 or even higher than that. I mean, he and he's he had a double today, so he's driving the ball. Um, he made a nice pick today, you know, with a on a throw that Ben Gamble was running on, and Ben Gamble decided to give him a little side check and took the brunt of it. It was weird, uh, but I think again he was just trying to get another opportunity for more gifts in the in the internet and the Twitter sphere with his hair flying around. Well, Chase Headley, you don't remember that fight between Ben Gamble and Chase Headley last year? No. Yeah, Chase Headley didn't didn't uh, he he left him out at dinner, and made Gamble pay for the bill. Oh, not good. Um, at this point, do you really want them to trade more prospects for another medi- no. mediocre Yondo Alonso type first baseman? No. How much is Alonso an upgrade over Headley, Frazier, and um, Cooper? Again, I, I agree. I, I think it's uh, I think you're just trying to throw more shit at the wall, and you're gonna be, you're gonna have too many bodies at some point. Um, I mean, Cooper has been played well against. Uh, against lefties, so I, why not just keep this platoon? It's it's working okay. It's actually been the best production we've had out of first base all year long. So let's just ride with it for a little while. It's just, it's a, it's a it's obvious that the starting rotation is a way bigger need than yes. more first base help at this point. Right. We've got Chris Carter out of our lives. He's now with Oakland. He's their problem now. Oh no! You said the Oakland scouts are in the minor leagues right now, right? So you're thinking the Yankees are going to bring back our boy? <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility, right? Uh, they, 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 hey, 40 home runs last year. What if they're like, I, <laughs> I know, right? Maybe he, he can get that magic back when he's in Oakland. Re, re, uh, revigorate himself. Isn't that where he started? Or was it Houston? He started somewhere out there. The, uh, uh, yeah, who knows? Who cares? They're all the same, <laughs> they're all the same team, essentially. The, yeah, I mean, what if, it's, uh, what if it's a deal breaker? You got to take Chris Carter back. We actually saw what he does now in person. You can have him back, but only... If you take him back. I kind of hope it happens just to see a meltdown, a Yankees fans meltdown. Oh my goodness. We didn't really pay our respects to Michael Pineda last week. We mentioned him. We said it's really not that big of a deal. Sadly for the Yankees, him going down is not going to hurt them a ton because he's been so inconsistent. But Pineda's out. We've seen the last of him in a Yankee uniform. And I was thinking about it this week. He may have been the most frustrating pitcher I watched in a Yankee uniform for the past 20 years. He's 100% the most frustrating pitcher I've ever watched as a, as a Yankee. And there's no doubt about it. I, I really, uh, I would get so aggravated. I would get more aggravated watching him pitch than, than anybody I've ever, ever watched. Because he would go out there and look absolutely filthy for an, an inning, three innings, four innings, five starts. I think he had a stretch this season, nine starts, where he had a, a 2.8 ERA and a, 
sub one whip, which is amazing. And then and then a, str- a stretch of seven starts where he gave up, I believe it was 26 earned runs or something like that. So he goes through these ups and downs. That's why it was maddening. You love stuff. Pineda had all the stuff in the world. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think those are the guys that are so maddening to me, the ones that can't put it all together because, and especially one uh, so streak. And I, I, you know, I, I cannot stand when people wear their, their frustration on their face. Oh, like, flapping his I, arms. I can't stand that unless it's like intense frustration and they're getting mad at themselves. But no, it's just like dumb. Duh. It's like dumbfounded, like stupid looks. Cannot handle that. I just, I have no, no patience for that type of shit. And, and when Pineda's out there, like the, the entire time, the other frustration thing, frustrating thing in the beginning of the season when he was actually doing well, the entire time, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm just <laughs> waiting for something bad to happen because I know it's not sustainable. I'm so happy I don't have to root for him anymore. Him in his sideways, his slightly tilted sideways hat, him sweating his balls off, the whole incident with him throwing his arms up in the air. Remember, he had the pine tar situation. I mean, so, how stupid can you be to put pine tar on your on your neck, like in in plain sight? It's like he rolled I mean, it on we, with we a should, paint roller right on his. You should have known right there that this guy is a complete moron, and just like, <laughs> oh, they're not going to see it. It's just sitting there. It's just just utterly ridiculous. I mean, he's really just not a smart person. So I I was tweeting about most frustrating pitchers over the last 20 years for the Yankees. Got a lot of good suggestions. I want to just get these names out there because a lot of people are saying these guys. Kenny Rogers, Phil Hughes, Jabba Chamberlain, Randy Johnson, Carl Pavano, Kay Agawa, Kyle Farnsworth, and A.J. Burnett. Any of those guys stand out to you? Yeah, two. Well, I'll 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 mention that Kayagawa and Carlo Pavano weren't on the freaking field enough right. to be frustrating they, they for me at all. <laughs> and uh, Kyle Farnsworth never really bothered me. AJ Burnett, it would probably be the one in there. I mean, Jabba was frustrating, but I think I, I still blame the Yankees for Jabba. I, mm. I do totally. And, I, and the uh, the midges. <laughs> I think he. I mean, that dude was. I've never seen somebody get so frustrated. I've never felt so bad for a pitcher. That's that Joe Torre's fault. That game. Joe Torre, I don't know if you ever read Joe Torre's book, but he said the one single thing he regrets most about his tenure with the Yankees is not pulling his team off the field in that game. Yes, I agree with you. They should have pulled the team. It was a, it was an obstruction. It was a problem. Treat it like a rain delay. It was an issue. Get the guys off. Uh, Kyle Farnsworth annoyed me because he could throw 100 miles an hour back before every reliever could throw 100 miles an hour. So you're like, oh, this guy's going to be dominant in the eighth inning. And he would come in and walk three guys and Mariano would have to clean up his mess. Yeah, but I feel like the book was already out on him by the time he got to the Yankees. He, we knew that there was control issues. Like you know, he was a guy that would uh, that would that throws hard would would be good if you had a brawl. I mean, like there's things you can rely on Kyle Farnsworth throwing a lot of strikes and being dominant consistently. Not on the list. Well, good riddance, Michael Pineda. It was a. Do you realize he only pitched four seasons for the Yankees? Doesn't it Do seem re- like it was forty? Do you realize that they could still re-sign him? On well, a very, very team-friendly contract now sure, because he's hurt and they, a lot of people weren't going to want him. But they could have done that with Evaldi and they didn't. Yeah, I know, but I could see I, I just could see this happening. No, I could they're see done it with happening. him. They're done with him. Oh, I could see the maddening continue, but it won't be for another year and a half, so that's good. <laughs> so uh, more hot stove talk. I forgot to mention this just briefly. Uh, do, are you making anything out of these Heyman reports that the Yankees have spoke to the Marlins about Stanton? No, I think he's just trying to get some really good clicks at Fan Rag Sports, and uh, I think he's. I think it's well, just. It's well, too it worked. When, yeah, oh yeah, it's 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 nice. It's it's good to think about. I like uh, I like thinking about it. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting about that. Actually, the one thing that I do believe that there is some weight to um, is the the fact that Stanton has this really big long contract, 
And the Yankees are also trying to get rid of a big, long contract that's maybe not as long. I think there's some, some weight in that because if you look what happened last year, and I can't remember the guy's name. Maybe you'll remember his name. But um, it was when uh, Matt Kemp was traded from San Diego to Atlanta for that Dominican guy or Cuban guy that was uh, just bad. He never worked out. I think he had like domestic <clears throat> abuse issue too. Was it Rusny Castillo? No, it wasn't him. It was a skinnier dude. I forget. His, I think he was a third baseman. Anyway, it doesn't Hector or something or other. Anyway, he had a big con. It was a huge contract and they traded contracts and then San Diego released the guy. I don't think he's been picked up. I think there were a, a lot of issues off the field as well, but they did. They made a deal basically to absorb each other's contracts and San Diego absorbed a $30 million contract of this guy because it was a lot shorter than the Kemp contract that they didn't want to continue to eat any longer or, or pay for uh, because they were in a different position. So I, I think it's interesting when you look at those contracts and the way that it's going down that the Ellsbury contract is, is uh, it's, it's less in time in duration than the Stanton contract. And if the Yankees were to pick up the, the Stanton contract and get out from under the Ellsbury contract, the Marlins would then also be getting out from the Stanton contract. So I don't know. But, it's, there's interesting things like that to, to, to look at. And I think that's maybe the only thing that, that could, uh, that could possibly produce a situation that Giancarlo Stanton would actually be talked about coming over here. But Stanton has that opt out clause that he might, exercise and then he would be out from the Marlins contract also Stanton's a good player so it's not like they're paying him to do nothing no I get it but it's also a, a point in in where the Marlins are yeah uh, you're gonna pay a guy to to do what so there's well, just how different much factors. they're trying to sell their team how much is that team worth if they don't even have a drawing card like Giancarlo Stanton well that's the other thing they're in limbo with ownership so who knows what the hell's gonna happen there I mean they could sell all their um, assets at a certain point it's really it's really a it's, it's an interesting situation if you look at it. I mean, if you're looking at a situation like that, as far as franchises in, in kind of flux with big names like that too, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is just what happened in the NBA with the Houston Rockets where they, they got all these guys and now they're putting up the franchise for sale because they have like this ridiculous team now with Chris Paul and, um, and Harden and they got somebody else. And, uh, and now they're trying to sell it for like top dollar because they know how they have a, a product. It's, a, it's an interesting situation on how that's going to play out because they are in, in, in ownership flux. And what happens when Jeter goes over there, buys the damn team, and then ships Giancarlo Stanton over to the Yankees? It's, it's insider trading. Yeah, right? Is that, I could see it happening. <laughs> All right, you ready to move into mailbags? Let's do it. The first one is from Rob Craig. He said, isn't Todd Frazier just another Carter at this point? What are your thoughts on dealing Rutherford? I guess that means Jacoby isn't, is staying and no eating of the contract. Which question do you want to deal with first? Um, I'll go with Frazier because the other one is barely worth my time on the Jacoby thing. It makes no sense. Let's talk about Frazier. Is he another Chris Carter? No, he's better than Chris Carter because he's not Chris Carter. <laughs> he plays with his eyes open. He, he can play a premium defensive position at above average level. So yeah, he, he's, boom, he's already good, better he, than Chris Carter. He's played well. He's already played well at third base. I mean, again, it's too, it's too uh, early to make a good judgment on the defense, too early to make a good, uh, a bad judgment on the bat. Um, but I mean, he's got a track record for the defense and usually that doesn't really sway too far off. And the picture with him and Jeter from 1998, that just warms my heart. Right. It is. It's a beautiful picture. It's iconic. Second part of that question, I do not think that the Yankees trading Blake Rutherford ha will have any effect on whether or not they eat Jacoby Ellsbury's contract. 
you, you guys, we need to we need to focus on how far away Rutherford was. It's not like they're grooming Rutherford to take Jacoby Ellsbury's spot at the end of his contract. It's just there's so many things that can go into that. There's just too many factors. You can't groom a guy from that early to take a guy's spot. You can start thinking about him when he's in Triple A, maybe to take a guy's spot, but you can't start thinking about that beforehand. Double A at the very earliest. But this guy was in a low single A. He was in Charleston. He wasn't even in Tampa. So there's just too many factors with that. And and honestly, look what's happening with Jacoby Ellsbury. It's not nothing is going to have any bearing on it. No other player is going to have a bearing on Jacoby uh, Ellsbury that's that far down. Besides Jacoby Ellsbury not producing now, and other guys taking his job now. When do you think? I'm looking up his contract because I, I can't remember exactly. I think it ends at 2020, isn't it? Yeah, but isn't there like a player option or something stupid? Oh God, I hope not. When do you think they would actually um, start to eat it? I think the Yankees have to to really think about what what they're getting from him and what they're holding what they're holding back on the field as well by having him in the lineup. And at what point does does that bad debt become a, a, a problem for you to, uh, to to keep it around rather than just cut it? It's still going to be the same debt. Now, now you're, you're hurting your team, your product on the field. So at what point do you say, okay, this is a bad, this is a bad investment. I need to cut my losses because right now it's, it's tying up, you know, things I could do on the field for my current product. At some point that's going to become a problem and it's already, we're actually seeing it manifest right now. So here's the situation. You were right. It's through 2020 and then it's a team option for $21 million for 2021 with a $5 million buyout. So they will be buying them out for 5 million. Oh, that's just insulting to $5 million. $63.4 million future salaries. Disgusting. Yeah, it's a ter- it's such a terrible contract. It really is bad. Jacoby um, Ellsbury, at the end of his career, is going to make over $160 million. He, he might be the worst player to ever make that much money. Yeah, he's he's 100% in the like at the top of the conversation right now. Because you think about bad contracts over the last few years. The contract that the Red Sox gave Carl Crawford was horrendous. But mm-hmm. Carl Crawford was a tremendous player up until that up until that contract. Ellsbury was not. Well, Carl, yeah, Carl Crawford in his Tampa days was a dominant player. Right. And had had the makings of everything. He fell off a freaking cliff. Like once his legs went, he was gone. It was a bad contract. Does, but it was a bad contract. You'll and look the back, freaking Dodgers saved their life. When you look back at Carl Crawford's career, you're going to say, damn, he was pretty good for about eight years. Yeah, and the other the other contract that people always bring up too is the uh, Albert Pujols contract. And granted, they still have a lot of time on that contract, but he's been a productive player. He's still a productive player. It's not like this is a guy that had one year, like we've been talking about with Ellsbury. I mean, he's literally one of the, you know, one of the best players that have ever played baseball. And he is still producing at a pretty high level. Um, and he's even stealing bases when he doesn't have legs against the Yankees. <laughs> well, thanks, Dylan. <laughs> the next mailbag is from Owen, and he says, if the Yankees keep playing like this for the rest of the season, do you think Girardi will still be the manager next season? Yeah, I think Girardi's job is safe. I don't think they're going to be making any uh, any big moves. I think Cashman is obviously going to retain his position. I think Girardi is going to retain his position and... What did we say last week? We, you know, his what his his initial contract or his last contract was three years. Yep, is that right? So um, you were betting two years or somewhere around there. Um, I still think it's you know three. I said four. I'm, I'm going to take the fourth back. I'm going to say it's going to be a duplicate contract of three years. It, why? Let's play a hypothetical game. He does not. The Yankees don't finish 500. They finish below 500 this season. Does he get fired? I still don't think he gets fired. <laughs> okay. Next question. What do we got? 
Next is from Zach Waters. He said, of all, uh, of all the things that could be taken from the Boston series, I think it could be said that the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry is at least on the way back. Between Hanley Ramirez's unlikable persona, Judge versus Betts becoming a thing, and Jackie Bradley Jr.'s dumb home run robberies, there is a lot to dislike about Boston this year. All, all we need is Headley to slide in, spikes up, and boom, rivalry back. Did you get a sense that the rivalry was back in that four-game series? No. <laughs> was it... Uh, so, I agree. But I think it was the most exciting, most intense four games uh, between those two teams they've played in a, a while. Look, I'm not saying it's, uh, it's back at this point, because it's not. It's not even remotely well, back. Let's also and, put and in I, context back. It's I never going to be back. back. It's no, never going to be back. Not before 2004. Anything before 2004... Is in is his history that will never be recreated because they were looking to win something that they hadn't won in over a hundred years and now they have won it multiple times so they don't have that starvation anymore for for a title and that alone made it just a, a lethal combination of the Yankees winning as many times as they did and the Red Sox not winning as many times as they did that is all gone so the fact that that's gone now we need new new juice we need new blood bad blood and I do think that these young guys could possibly stir this up. I, you know, Frazier's got that little bit of a dick attitude, and I like it. He's confident. He's not going to take any shit if someone says something to him. I could see him stirring up some some stuff. I could see Judge eventually when he becomes more comfortable and, you know, you know, unleashes a little bit more of his uh of his inner, you know, badass. I could see him being more of a a guy that might, you know, stand up to somebody. So, while I think it's it's neutralized at this point, I think it's in the beginning of the Ambers might be getting hot. They're going to have to meet in the playoffs again, though. Totally agree. And I think that's, that's, I mean, look what we're looking at right now. They have a very young team. We have a very young team. This is, this is you know, destined to, uh, at some point, butt heads in a very meaningful position. And that's when you start hating people. Yep. You start hating people when it, it's, it's, uh, it's, you go home if you lose. And if you win, you send them home. That's when you start hating people. And the new playoff format gives them more opportunities to face off in the playoffs. Not only could they do a wild card situation, but now they can play each other in the division series, which they couldn't about five, six years ago. So now there's just more opportunities. They have not played in the playoffs since 2004. I can't believe it's been since 2004, but it's been that long. They need to meet again in the playoffs for this rivalry to to get even close. But like you said, it's never going to be 100% all the way back. Yeah, and if people think it's because booing Judge is the thing, it's like no, no. That, that's it, I feel like these guys are just like, oh, boo! It's Judge, boo! They don't even mean it. They don't even. They're like, why are we booing right now? This guy's awesome. I do agree with Zach though. Hanley Ramirez d- does have an unlikable persona. Yeah, he's a yeah because he's he's just he's he's he, he never kills, shows he any kills uh, the Yankees. Yeah, and he never shows any. Um, I don't even know what the word is. He just looks like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for the mailbag questions. If you want to submit mailbag questions, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can tweet us at Yankees Podcast. Make sure to also follow the, the podcast Twitter handle. We've got our intern, Dom. He's been tweeting out a bunch of awesome stats on, on what's going on with the team. So at Yankees Podcast is that handle. Mine is at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Scott's is at Scott Reinen. And everyone, call the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. We've had the the calls. They've been good, but there haven't been as many. The Yankees finally won a series. Everyone should be fired up. We want this to be the place to go to rant in a good way or a bad way about the Yankees. Leave a voicemail. Let it all fly out. We want them to be funny. We want them to be fired up. 
We're going to play them at the end of every Monday episode. Yes. Yeah, stop. Let, don't let us down. Get off the schneid. Don't Let's go. Let Make down. some phone calls. Make some phone calls. Let's do this. We, we, need, we need you guys to, to make this voicemails good. I mean, this is a great part of the show. Let's do it. Come on. Don't be afraid by the British lady. We don't know how to get rid of her, but there's a yeah, British she, lady. <laughs> she will not go away. 646-480-0342. Enjoy the couple voicemails that we have, and we'll talk to you guys in a few days. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out, or I pick up the phone. Where could I be? Believe it or not, I'm not home. What the hell is Dee Dee doing? Bunting. In the evening, the first and third and two outs. Weak. The fuck up. Know what the fuck is going on around you. Come on. The Yankees are officially fucking complete. They got rid of Clippers and they brought back Robertson. They got rid of one of the worst fucking MLB relievers in the game. And they brought back one of my favorite Yankees. I couldn't be any more happy that that fucking bum who gives up a home run every damn game is out of that game. And I couldn't be any more happy. That the doctor, David Robertson, is back. I swear, if Clint Frazier gets sent down and Jacoby Ellsbury gets more playing time, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Clint Frazier is wildly outperforming him. He's got about 10 more extra base hits in his last 15 games than the guy. Ellsbury's now your new $150 million pitch runner, but I don't even care because Frazier's a stud. You gotta play him. You can't send him down. Come on! Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.